Hallelujah. Blessed be God. Well, good morning, everyone. I, uh, I am so emotional right now uh, because I was one of the assessors when your pastor was uh, dreaming about this church. And I can remember him unpacking his well-conceived vision uh, for sanctuary. And as I walk into the imagery, into the feel and the culture of this room, uh, as I've engaged with your leaders, uh, everything that he has imagined, I see has come into being. And yet, we wait and we hope because there's so much more deposited in you. Uh, but I am just so taken back at how powerful your worship is, how creative your presentation is, how, how loving your people are. As oftentimes I am the other, because people never know how to interact with a black Puerto Rican. They don't know whether to say, how you doing, or como esta, or... And so, but to come into this place and be the other and feel the warmth of Christ, the fellowship of the Covenant Church. I'm excited to see and to hear all that you're doing. Uh, so I applaud you and I give honor where honor is due to Pastor Andrew. Please give it up for your pastor. Amen. Amen. I also want to honor Pastor Lyle that's in the building. I, I have, please give it up for Pastor Lyle. His, out of your loins came this movement, literally. This is the, the final uh, reflection in MLK weekend or MLK, the month of MLK for this church. And you've invited the South Bronx to speak. And so let me apologize in advance uh, for everything that's going to probably be like, oh my God, did he just say that? Um, and if you get offended, I will have succeeded in, in my assignment. Uh, not to hurt your feelings, but hopefully to spark a great awakening. We pray in my formation. Would you extend your hands toward me and agree with me in prayer? I know that you don't have to, but if you would just come into unity with me. Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for where you're taking us. We thank you, God, that for such a time as this, we gather in this place. Now, Father, hide me behind your word. Let me not detour. Let me not miss. We pray that your word would go forth, change, and awaken we speak life into this. We thank you, God, for social consciousness, the sensitivity, the willingness, the humility to discuss the other. We thank you, God, in the days that we're living in, in this part of history where you plant this church, in this social context, we pray for a great revival in Providence. We pray, God, that there would be a light that is so bright that all that are in the dark would be drawn to it. We pray that the light would overflow and infect, oh, infect, oh God, and even stop the killings in the community. That there would be a reconciliation between black and white, black and white and brown, and from those that are in the dark with those that are in the light. We pray, God, that you would do something new. This is your church, and you said that you would build it. Build it, God, for your glory. Now use your servant for your glory. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody clap because God is good. Amen. I come from the Afro-Latino church, and in my church, they talk back to me when I talk to them. And so you don't have to do that, but if I can get one amen and I'll holla, 
I will feel safe. Appreciated InterVarsity sharing the move and, I, and, and on behalf uh, of NALEC, the National Latino Evangelical Coalition, uh, I represent um, as a national director with NALEC, the Spanish arm of the NAE, uh, the National Association of Evangelicals. I represent for that board uh, the Nehemiah Project, which the Covenant has uh, partnered with, with a slew of other denominations, RCA, the Assemblies of God, Southern Baptist. Now, you know when a Baptist is partnering with you, you know God is doing something. And so let me thank InterVarsity for taking their kids and their emerging adults and leaders to Puerto Rico. If ever there was a question about nationalism, racism, systemic oppression, if ever there was a question about the potential of there being an, uh, a system that is designed to hold some folk back, if there was ever a question in our history, in my opinion, and in my observation, my humble observation, that question has been answered. It's no longer a question of black lives matter. We know that all lives matter. All life should receive dignity, respect, but it's not all lives that are getting shot for a red light on a corner. It's black lives. When you turn around and you go to the, and I can say this, I can talk about this, because as, as, as Pastor Andrew mentioned, I'm phasing out of my, my secular job, my tent making, if you will. I'm the senior clinical director for adult programming at Rikers Island, the largest prison in the city of New York. And when I walk into my job every day, I have a thousand inmates in my charge and 37 social workers that I've got to continue to coach and train and speak life into because too often social workers become jaded by all the darkness they've got to embrace, all the encouragement they've got to give. So it's my job to be the trainer, the coach, and the champion for social workers and that they remain social in particular within a context of incarceration. I shared last night with your emerging leaders, sometimes in one space, I've got to, I've got to speak life to the person who's just been raped and violated in the, in, in the, um, in, in the restroom at 9 o'clock in the morning. They tell me I can't say the name of Jesus. They tell me I can't proselytize. But I'm in the covenant church. So that means I, in the name of Jesus, I speak healing over you. At 11 o'clock, I've got to deal with the person that actually facilitated the violation. In the same space, in the same day, I've got to be the prophet, the comforter, the counselor, the clinical director for those that have been violated and those that are the violator. What a context to be a peacemaker. Jesus in the Beatitudes says this, blessed are the peacemakers. And too often times we take this imagery and uh, because of colonization, post-Christian colonization, we have an imagery of Jesus that's not reflected historically. Can I kick this thing? I said it last night. Is there one person on hip-hop? Yes, you can. <laughs> In the South Bronx, when I say can, I kick it. The whole church says, yes, you can. Let's turn the Rhode Island into the South Bronx just for the next 30 minutes. Can I kick it? Yes, Come on, y'all got to sound more hood than that. Can I kick it? Yes, <laughs> what happens? In the same construct, we've got to be life. We have this imagery that's been given to us. And unfortunately, the imagery does not reflect the text, the culture. 
Why do we go through 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 century theologians to understand a first century Palestinian Jew? You didn't catch what I just said. For some of you, it hit you on the way home. We have made Jesus very white. And he's become this icon. And for those of us that are not of European descent or of a darker hue, we have been forced to embrace an imagery that is not the orthodoxy representation that we find within the text. But there's hope because the Holy Spirit interjects and intervenes. And even in a situation of exile and captivity, there can be life. Somebody say amen. Dr. King said this, and it would be a sin not to quote Dr. King in this reflection. At the end, it will not be what people did or what they said, as I paraphrase, but it will be what was not said that will be the loudest. And what's not being said through white evangelical silence is deconstructing the very fabric of community and interdenominational connectivity. And either God has called us to be one holy Catholic church or he didn't. And as I read and understand the text, he has called us to unity, to peacemaking, to speak, to speak to powers and principalities and rulers and wickedness and high places. I beg the Lord not to send me to jail. I am a social worker in practice for the last 25 years. I have struggled with the assignment for three decades. I tried to run from the prison work. And then the Lord sent me to chaplain school. And then he sends me to Rikers Island. He sends me to Horizon. If you understand my backdrop, my context, I grew up in prison. My father served 22 years in jail. And not as a correctional officer, he was an inmate. My mother served seven years in jail in Bedford Penitentiary for women. The whole fact that I walk into a prison is disturbing. It bothers me. There's always this thing inside of me saying, I hate this place. God, this assignment, if somebody else could do it. It's not a thing of, if it's a calling, if it's a ministry. Sometimes God calls us to walk in obedience, church. Calls us to follow him even though there's a struggle with understanding the call. Why am I saying this? I'm tired of my church talking about justice. I'm tired of us. We know that there's a justice issue. We know that the system is racist, oppressive to the other. We understand that black lives matter. We understand that the overrepresentation of Latinos and African Americans in prison is wrong. We understand that there's an entire generation that has been co-opted, colonized, and now being persecuted unjustly because there has not been a prophetic voice. There's not been an outcry from the church as of yet. It's no longer a question if there's racism. The reinvigoration of white supremacy in our country under this administration has birthed, and not that it ever died or ever was absent, it's just gotten a lot of publicity lately. Can I kick this thing? And if you're offended, the Lord deal with your heart. But when I think about my island, los borinqueños son americanos. We are American. 
And I think about the oppression and the colonization of my island. Many people don't know this, but Dr. King marched, and there was hundreds and hundreds of Puerto Ricans that had just come into the mainland that marched with him in District 65 UAW for fair living wages. Dr. King was a peacemaker in every sense of the word. But the imagery that we may grasp from the text of a little little girl giving a white flower to somebody and them stopping the war, that's not peacemaking, church. That's not peacemaking. Let me help you with this. That's not peacemaking. Peacemaking is being parachuted into a war and attention and then bringing peace incarnationally through the love and the person of Christ Jesus. You cannot be a peacemaker if there's no tension to be dropped into. Ask your neighbor, what are you being dropped into? No, in my church we talk to each other, so talk to each other. Ask your neighbor, what are you being dropped into? And if you're not being dropped into anything then I would question, what are you doing? I would question, have you become complacent? I would question, have you become safe in your pew? Have you become comfortable in your context of privilege? (laughs) When I think about the oppression of Puerto Rico and my people, when I think about how three days, three weeks into this crisis with the Hurricane Maria, And our president turns around and says, well, FEMA can't stay there forever. When I think about the $75 million in debt, that's a direct result of this context not being able to have its own industry. Debt incurred because of colonization. Debt incurred because of the control of a dominant culture. Debt incurred. And then when I think about this tax administration that's just been passed and then the 1.3 billion dollar loan that would have alleviated much of Puerto Rico's debt is frozen and stopped all of a sudden and abruptly after it's approved the conversation is not if there is racism the conversation is is not is there a systemic intentionality against the other the question is are you tired of talking about it yet church the question is, are you tired of having InterVarsity come up in here and talk about what, what's going to happen as they plant another campus? I appreciate and I love InterVarsity. They are, they, they, they are a missional, incarnational movement, and out of that movement has come many prophetic leaders. My, my assignment for you this morning is that stop talking about being a peacemaker and step up into the war. Be parachuted into the tension. Go into your projects and speak life to the other. Go into your schools and be incarnational. Go into the place. Go into the place. You are called into the place, and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Every prophet in Torah struggles with the assignment. Before, before Isaiah turns around and says, send me, Lord, I'll go, he says, woe is me. Woe is me. I am unclean. I come from unclean people. Right after that, send me, I'll go. The church is stuck in woe is me. Dr. King did not have to start and lead the civil rights movement. He was a middle-class African-American. He did not suffer the atrocities and the oppression and the issues that his, uh, his community. But he stepped into the assignment. 
He becomes incarnational. Jesus himself gives us this framework as the first missionary. We have this missionary framework from Jesus. He steps out of glory. He puts on humanity. He becomes Emmanuel, the tabernacled one among us. He comes among us to save us from, from our own fallenness. Glory be to God. You know what revival looks like? Revival looks like when a church goes into a space that feels uncomfortable to speak life. I've struggled. I've struggled. I've struggled. I often struggle coming and speaking in contexts and forums like this where I know that I'm the minority and I'm the other. I struggle. And let me give you the context. My earliest memories of trauma and violation come from when I was about four years old and I, I watched three huge white police officers slap my pregnant mother all around the living room as they raided our apartment looking for heroin. Slapped her and beat her. When you see something like that that young, it imagery never leaves you. And then throughout years, the Lord calls me to be a reconciler. And to now bring community transformation and healing as a clergyman, as a covenant pastor. And then to turn around and to bring the church to partner with the police department. And when I interact with them, what's in the back of my memory, what's in the back of my heart, is what I saw them do to my mom. Sometimes the Lord doesn't heal you from certain things so that you remember where you come from. Pasqua, Passover, is a looking back at the captivity of Israel. Let us never forget Pharaoh. Let us never forget Egypt. Let us never forget the redemption. Let us never forget Moses. Let us never forget. Let us never forget that we serve a God of liberation who delivers and saves and loves. Let us never forget that whatever we have has been given to us by God, and we've got a moral responsibility. We've got a, a theological and a biblical responsibility. Blessed are the peacemakers. I ain't saying blessed are those that talk about peacemaking, who theorize it, who have a philosophy box around it. Blessed are the peacemakers who never really fit in to the status quo. Let me speak to the awkward person here who never really fit into the ministry box. Blessed are those who are willing to walk in their social awkwardness and be obedient even to persecution. The very next verse in the Beatitudes, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why did Jesus do that? Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 8. Verse 9, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness. Why did he do that? Why is that in the text? It's in the text because those who dare to step out and speak truth to power in the name of love will always be persecuted. Intervarsity is a gangster ministry. They need theme music when they walk into a campus. Because they're dealing with philosophy and constructs that do not embrace divinity. Can I kick this thing? In particular to be a, a chapterman of color. Ooh, let me park here. Because you have a lighter hue, you can go places I can't go. I know what it is to be the only Afro-Latino working in a Nebraska-based consulting firm as a national consultant. I had to be stronger. I had to be faster. I had to be brighter. 
When I prepared my thesis, I had to have it written in interpersonal communication. I had to make sure that I was better than the rest because I would get cut quick. When somebody of a lighter hue messed up, it was called charming. When I messed up, it was called irresponsible. White privilege. White privilege. Doing life in a situation of systemic oppression is not easy. And you'll never understand until you allow God to parachute you into the context I want to read one text, just one. The book of Acts, we understand what happens in chapter 2. We understand that this is, for those that come out of the, the charismatic tradition, this is where the church is empowered. This is where the dunamis and the dynamo are released upon the 120. And they come out and it overflows. God's presence upon them overflows into the street. We understand that the empowerment of the church happens upstairs in the upper room. The Bible says that they all gathered together in one place and they were in one accord. Somebody say one accord. Wake up in the back of the church and say one accord. What would happen if this church would be in one accord? What would happen if we would agree and then maybe move in community, even though you may have apprehension, but if we would agree in one accord that we would take a prophetic stance against systemic oppression in your context, what would happen if you all prayed in one accord? The Bible says what happened in the first century is that the building started to shake. You ain't not going to move like that, right? Things start to shake when the church starts to pray. Things start... Institutions start to move to the side when the church starts to pray. The empowerment of, of the church happens in the upper room, but the birthing of the church happens in the street. I love this edifice. I love the contrast. I love the candles. I felt like I was in a European movie. I walked up in here. I saw the candles. I saw the modern technology. These people over here look like they were doing this Lincoln Park thing. I'm walking in, they got like a funky South Bronx beat, and I'm like saying, oh, what is going on in this church? And then we got these plain glass, look at this imagery. Look at this imagery. None of this stuff makes sense. Come on, Lyle. I know he walks into his son's church and be like, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Liturgical etiquette all out the window. This cat looks like a movie star. Rock star. I called him that. First time I saw Mook, I said, Mook, this guy's a rock star. Help us, Lord. What would happen if this place, birthed by the creative imagination of God through Mook's heart, would it be in one accord around this issue and move in community and intentionality and start adopting projects and start adopting schools and start adopting police departments. What would happen if you were to not just do church on Sunday but do church in the street? 
The Bible says that the anointing is, the, the, the dynamo is released upon them. Fire, flames of fire. And, and they come outside and, and they start to what? They start to speak in other tongues. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to get crazy. They start to speak in other tongues. And what happens? People that are not of their national origin, people from every nation, every tongue. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are these not Galileans? Are these not those that are uneducated and from the margins, yet we hear them speaking in our tongues clearly the praises of God? They got empowered, and immediately God gave them language to reach the other. You didn't catch what I just said. It just went over your head. It just... You get empowered, and then immediately they speak the language of the other. It draws the other into the space. Wherever God is being lifted, being lifted up, people are going to be drawn. Every nation, every tongue, well, every, every tribe will be drawn into the presence of God. Somebody say amen. Pentecost is not about fiery tongues. Pentecost is about Christ being lifted up. As he touches the church, empowers the church, and from the very birthing of the church, you see a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-dimensional dynamic. Sundays are not to be the most segregated day of the, of, the, of the week. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The imagery is specific, multicultural, multi-class, multi-dimensional. What would happen if we come into the same space? And God starts to shake us up. And then we have the boldness to speak the language that the other understands. Peacemakers, be parachuted, speaking the language that is sensitive to the oppressed. The church has got to be sensitive to those that are marginalized. The church, and let me say this to you, let me say this, and this is a, this is a hard word. This is a hard word. If you get offended, you know, deal with the Lord. But if you would own the fact that you have white privilege... And use, the, use that white privilege to empower the other. That is the loudest sermon you could ever preach. God is always in the rejected space. God forbid we be a church that refuses to go into the space that God is calling us. When the church is silent in her actions, it says and sends and communicates a loud, a loud message. I'm tired of the church looking to be a peacemaker and then talk about justice as if it's an addendum to the gospel. This is not an addendum to the gospel. Every prophet, major and minor, spoke to the administration, spoke to the king, spoke to the system. I just met with the governor, Rosejo, Dr. Rosejo, the governor of Puerto Rico. Just three weeks ago, they flew us in to talk about what's it's going to take $10 billion just to get them halfway to re. That $1.3 billion would have assisted with that, but further oppression. They just took literary resources out of prisons again. Again, in, in the east, in, in our region, and now there's a there's a there's a tension. There's a there's a revival to to speak to the to the institution and say you cannot um, uneducate or diseducate this population. 
to remove academia and literacy from those that are incarcerated is to perpetuate another type of education that will only breed more violence and recidivism. People don't go to jail because they want to. There are circumstances. My neighborhood does not look like your neighborhood, and you should have a problem with that. That I don't have the same access, that I don't have the same resources, that I don't have the same, and we would have come into the same common space and speak the language. Peacemaking is not giving a white flower to somebody and it getting better. Peacemaking is being parachuted into war and being the flower. One of his names is the lily of the valley. What valley are you being dropped into? Or are you looking at the valley from atop your condo? Saying, man, they should do this and men, men should do that, but you do nothing. I wanted to talk practical, so we adopt schools. When we started our church, we started a school. We are in prisons. We feed more people that are undocumented, and now we got to do it on the down low because there's ICE raids. We had a DACA event in our church. Over 150 dreamers came in. They walked in through the front door, and then ICE showed up on that side of the block, and the mayor's office said, bro, you got to let them out the back door because of the times that we live in. So we let them out the back door as they walked out with applications that were free. Every day I see black and brown in prison, and I don't see... I don't see animals. I see God's children. I see people that are broken, not because they chose it. Now, we have decisions that we make, and I understand that. But I thank the Lord that he doesn't hold my, my wrong decisions against me. And he calls me to himself, and he forgives me, and he redeems me. By, by every sense of the word, I should not be before you today, Sanctuary Church, because according to statistics, if one person of, of Afro color comes and their parent is incarcerated, it guarantees that they're going to be incarcerated. I had both my parents go to jail for homicide. That happened in front of me. I'm the first graduate of my family and tribe, first clergy of my family and tribe, first person to start a school, now launching another school. And I'm not talking about a school of ministry. I'm talking about a U.S. Department of Education, regents presented, regents approved school. And our mantra is this, can any good thing come out of the South Bronx? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. I've hated the prison because I grew up in the prison and when I hear mommy and daddy in my memory space I go to a prison I mean how crazy is that but the Lord in his mercy and his goodness and his grace met me in that space and I'm still in prison well now I'm going to be going to a different type of prison uh, with Tim Keller I often Pastor Lyle, I often find myself in contexts and places. I'm saying, how did I wind up in this space in front of these people talking about this issue? How did I wind up, Lord? Because somebody prayed for me. Somebody had me on their mind, took the time and prayed for me. 
That's a hymn from the black church. I'm so glad they prayed. There's a time for prayer. There's a time for action. Dr. King did both. And along the way, he turned around and he said, if you keep your mouth shut, you're contributing to the problem because you're speaking loudly. Use your white privilege and use your platform for the other. Bless them, empower them, understand them. We don't have to argue about if there is a gospel issue or a justice issue or a black lives matter. All lives matter. We know this. We know this. But it's not all lives that are being killed on the corner at a red light. The reinvigoration of white supremacy is anti-kingdom of God. It is an ancient evil. And there are certain things you cannot just speak to. It's prayer and fasting, but it's prophetic presence. Sanctuary Church, you are justice sensitive. You have a social conscience that has awakened. I pray that it be even more awakened and that, you know what? Now that you've been empowered, that you overflow into your streets. It is my prayer that you get so lit and so upset with this sermon, that you become so discontented that you say, you know what? I'm so angry at this slightly overweight but very cute Latin guy that came to our church. I'm going to go tell somebody in the hood that I love them. I'm going to go build a bridge intentionally with a person of color. And for those people of color that are coming to this church, you are the champions representing the rest of us. Do me a favor, because there's another side to this coin. Don't sit here and be silent. Coach your brother with privilege in social and cultural intelligence. Coach and speak and teach. Because if you're planted in this church, it's not because you decided to come. It's not because your homie brought you. It's because God's design and God's providence and sovereignty planted you here. If you're African American and Latino and you can hear the sound of my voice, you're here for a reason. Start teaching these folk. I had to rebuke Andrew last night. You can't tell a Latino que vamos a comer moro negro y arroz gandule. You can't tell me that we're going to have Spanish food. Oh, it's Puerto Rican food. Oh, it's Dominican food. Oh, it's Peruvian food. Which food is it? It was good food. I should have took that food home because when I got back to the hotel, I was just saying, I'm hungry, dog. That Peruvian food was popping. You should take me there after this sermon, amen? Penance. I love your pastor, and I love what the Spirit's doing in his context. And I often go to different places to talk about the polarization and the people get offended and let me just give you this Jesus was offensive to the Sadducee and the Pharisee Jesus didn't please everybody he was healing and he was resurrecting and sometimes he'd flip tables and he acted very Puerto Rican pulled out a belt and would start whipping people in today's age that would be a, a, a 911 call but as I grew up my grandmother had a chancleta Yes, chancleta was bionic. She would throw it from the kitchen and it would just do like a like a boomerang and just catch you bang in the back of your head, wherever I was at. Anybody know about a chancleta? A slipper. Two of us had discipline growing up. The rest of you obviously have no home skills training. <laughs> 
Could we be the church that doesn't talk about it, but is really about it? Could we be the church that is so intoxicated, not with the justice conversation, but with the centrality and the gospel that we overflow into the streets and we infect the depravity of the socioeconomic barriers of illiteracy. Jesus wasn't just soteriologically our soci. He is the savior to our illiteracy, to our poverty, to our systemic racism, to the bureaucracy that keeps some people blessed and others oppressed. He is the one that deconstructs that through his church. There's only two responses that the creator gives to his creation. The first one is the Yeshua, the Messiah, the Mishiach, the Savior, the, the atonement of the world, the one who takes upon sin. The second is his church. And there's too many churches that are sitting in silence. Too many churches theorizing and talking. Peacemakers are in the war, are in the tension, are in the They're in it. They're in the middle. And if they're not in the middle, they're moving from the center. And they're going straight for the margin to bring light into dark places. You have this moment in history to be the church that brings an awakening into providence. What would happen if we came into one place and were commonly surrendered to God? Revival would break out. Then you'd have to partner with the Baptists and the assemblies because he's coming for one holy Catholic church. This is the word of the Lord. And if you can receive it, say amen. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you.